Welcome back to Sermon Notes. Glad to have you along with us this week as we're preparing to wrap up the book of Ephesians. This is Michael alongside Josh, our producer. Garland's in Israel, so I'm not jealous of that at all. And across from me here is Ryan Burton, our worship arts team leader and our primary worship leader. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me. First time on Sermon Notes? You know, no, Garland and I did it, um, I guess it was maybe a couple of months ago, something like that. So okay, good. Second time. Cool. So now now I'm, I'm settled in. I don't listen to it when I'm not on it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, we're excited for Garland to have the opportunity and can't wait to hear about his trip. And uh, yeah, Ryan, I'm excited to be up with you this Sunday. And we're also going to yeah. have Clark up with us. Um, as we do our traditional Thanksgiving share service. And so by the time most of you listen to this, we will have already had that service. And it's always encouraging to hear what people are thankful for and what God's doing in people's lives at our church. It's kind of a Thanksgiving tradition around here. Mm -hmm. What's your Thanksgiving going to look like, Ryan? Well, this year, um, I think it's the first year that both my wife's uh, family and my own family are in town. They they both live here now. And so we're splitting it up. We're doing Thanksgiving lunch at my in-laws and Thanksgiving dinner at my folks' place. So. Well, I hope you find something to eat. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> this is the time of year when I'm really grateful for, um, you know, it's the cliche. What I'm thankful for is a brother-in-law who's a chemical engineer mm. uh, because he can perfectly scientifically fry a turkey and it is unbelievable. Wow. So... Um, I'm looking okay. forward to that on Thanksgiving Day. But before that, we're going to look at Ephesians, and we're going to wrap up Ephesians. Um, this week, our passage is Ephesians 6, 10 through 24. And, you know, as we look at the passage, it seems like every week on Sermon Notes, we're resetting just the book of Ephesians, um, the first uh, part of the book, the first three chapters. Um, we've been calling that the calling of the church. That's where Paul really describes who the church is, what God's doing in the church through Jesus Christ, how he's creating a new um, a new race of people um, where the old things that divided us fall away and we're united under Christ. And then we've been calling um, Ephesians 4 through 6, 9, 4, 1 through 6, 9, the conduct of the church. There's a lot of imperatives in there, a lot of instructions for us to follow. Um, and then, of course, today we come to Ephesians 6.10, and we're calling this the charge. And, um, you know, Ryan, as you read this, it really does kind of have that that pre-battle speech that we've yes. seen in so many movies over the years. That's kind of the feel of it. Mm -hmm. Let's dress up. Get ready. Here we go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was sharing with my Bible study guys this morning as I was setting this, I actually pulled up the old YouTube clip of the pre-battle scene in Gladiator oh, when yeah. Russell Crowe's riding around on that horse mm -hmm. and giving him the big speech. And this sounds very similar to that. Yeah. Oh, totally. Absolutely it does. So he tells us to put on the full armor of God. And one of the things we're going to talk about in the sermon on Sunday is just Paul didn't invent this idea. This isn't something that was brand new. No one had ever heard before. There's actually several places in Isaiah um, that, that he references, that Isaiah references God's Messiah King, um, God's warrior, who is God himself putting on armor. The, the, the clearest one is in Isaiah chapter 59, beginning in verse 15, where God himself puts on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. And so it's really interesting now in the New Testament, it's no longer God armoring up to go into battle on our behalf, but he's calling us 
indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the people of God, to put on the armor. Now we're in this spiritual battle. And so it's really interesting how Paul is repurposing this language that we are, in effect, putting on the Messiah King, Jesus, um, as his representatives in this battle. And uh, he works through these different pieces. Ryan, was there anything that really stood out to you in the different pieces of armor that Paul's calling us to put on? Man, the one the one that is kind of sticking with me, um, just kind of in this season of my life, I guess, is uh, in verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Um, with which you can extinguish all flaming darts of the evil one. Um, shield of faith, I, and we talked about this a little bit on a Monday morning, I think. We were we were talking about um, how the sword, I think most of us see that as the one offensive right. um, piece of armor, in a sense. Um, but uh, I can't remember who mentioned it, but that you could, you could also argue that maybe a shield could be somewhat offensive. And so... Um, Man, this idea that our faith, that a strong um, guard of faith on our lives um, is, is a powerful thing. It can protect us from the flaming darts, from these little things that get thrown at us that that try to shake the foundation of who we are, but our faith can actually withstand um, those things. Man, that's so good. This morning in our men's Bible study, one of my co-leaders, Brad Reagan, he mentioned um, that all the, all the other pieces before the shield are things that we just put on. Once you cinch up your belt, mm. it's on. The mm. shield, you have to actively hold up. You have to move it to the right mm. spot. And oh, that's good. We spent a little time this morning, um, just to follow up what you were saying, um, we spent a little time this morning talking about how um, there are things that cause us to drop our shield, whether it's fatigue or frustration, um, distraction. Um, we have the the shield of faith. That's that's a pretty active piece of the armor that we've got mm-hmm. to get up um, in the right spot in order to deflect these flaming arrows. And yeah, the one that's really stood out to me is the very next one after that, verse 17, that helmet of salvation. Just mm-hmm. thinking about, you know... Um, I've I have never been in the military and I've never worn body armor and I hope I never need to um, in in you know flesh and blood life um, and so I I don't a breastplate and that kind of thing it's a little hard for me to wrap my head around but I've worn a helmet lots of times mm-hmm. um, riding motorcycles playing baseball um, there's lots of reasons I wouldn't even get in a batting cage without a helmet on oh no way um, you definitely wouldn't run on a football field without a helmet on. Nope. And so I was just thinking about that in verse 17, man, that helmet, our salvation, this whole thing is depicting a spiritual battle. Paul said back in verse 12 that this is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, authorities, powers, dark spiritual forces of evil. Um, man, that helmet of salvation, that's gonna keep us from getting that fatal head wound. Um, mm. We can go into this battle. If I'm lining up across from a guy on a football field, um, if I have a helmet on, I feel a lot more confident about the collision that's about to occur. Totally. And yeah. um, for us to have that helmet of salvation, man, that's just so key. And um, I hope all of our listeners, um, everything that we've talked about in this Ephesians series hinges on that salvation, that without that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, all the rest of this is gonna be impossible. And one of the big takeaways for me from studying this passage over the last few weeks is I think too often we try to fight these spiritual battles in our flesh and in our own power. 
And what Paul's telling us is um, you're setting yourself up to lose. You need to make sure you've got that helmet. Your salvation is secure so that you can't sustain um, a mortal wound. And man, you need to be ready to wield that sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the way we do that is through study and meditation and memorization. Um, This would be a good time to reflect on your uh, memory challenge that we took back on week one of this study, Ephesians chapter one. How's that? How's that memory project going? Every time those, re- I have a little app on my phone. Those reminders pop up to review those verses, and I'm like, "Oh, I got to stay on this because <laughs> if I don't, I know it's going to just slip away." Mm. Um, but yeah, to have God's word at the ready, um, mm. a, a sword doesn't do you any good in the closet um, when the battle comes. You got to yeah. have it ready to to use it. Mm, that's good. So Ryan, um, we talked about this a little. A couple of weeks ago, you and I did, but he shifts in verse 18 and he starts talking about prayer. And it's really interesting what Paul's prayer request for himself is. He doesn't pray what I would expect, which is, please pray that the Supreme Court would take my case and maybe I'll get out of this jail <laughs> cell. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't ask for that at all. It's uh, really interesting. Yeah. No, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, his prayer is not, um, hey, get me out of jail. I'm tired of being here. And, and, and even like, get me out of jail so I can go proclaim the gospel more. But he has so much faith that God's going to deliver him. He's praying for confidence and no more fear, no fear at all uh, attached to proclaiming this gospel truth, proclaiming the mystery of the gospel. Um, I just find that fascinating. Like that's <laughs> that's the shield that I want, the shield of faith that that I want. And no know? kidding, yeah, yeah. It's it's something to think. You picture Paul. In the jail cell, he's probably got guards around, and so he's probably looking at these uh, Roman soldiers who have their armor on. It's probably bringing some of this to mind for him. Um, And as I was thinking about this, pray that I may declare it fearlessly in verse 20. Um, I heard a global worker um, a few years ago. He was giving a talk, and he said, you know, nobody ever got persecuted or went to jail for what they believe. Mm -hmm. He said they go to jail because they won't shut up about it. Mm. And I thought about that in Paul's case. Here's Paul. He's in prison for proclaiming the gospel. And he says, pray that I'll be bold, that I'll declare it fearlessly like I know that I should. Oh, man, that's really striking to me. He's he's suffering severe consequences for proclaiming the gospel. And his prayer request is pray that I'll be able to do it even more and even yeah. more boldly. Yeah. Um, and here I am sitting over here like, oh, they might think I'm weird. Um, <laughs> and sure. Paul's like, yeah, that'd be rough for you. I'm in jail yeah. and praying that he'll have the boldness to declare it. And then just these last few verses, it's so easy to skip over the closing of these letters, but we've got Tychicus here. He pops up a few places in the New Testament. He's kind of part of Paul's little missionary band. And the reminder to me is that Paul was doing all of this in team. And man, that's really a core value. I know it's a core value for you guys on the worship side as well to do everything in team. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, and that's, you know, man, we're, we're blessed here at Fellowship where we were able to, you know, have on staff a handful of worship leaders here, even at Fellowship Fayetteville. And so we meet very frequently with those worship leaders, and we're talking about volunteers and how we can uh, best invest in their lives, uh, how we can you know best utilize the tools that we've been given. And then we meet um, across congregationally as well. Um, and we talk about, like right now, we're, we're talking about new systems that we might implement that would be um, easier for our volunteers to to use and, and maybe allow rehearsals to go a little bit smoother. 
Um, but that team, that team play is what is going to make us as a team all progress. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm going to botch the saying, but someone when, when I went to ice cream school in a different life, love um, it. <laughs> a, uh, a, a fellow um, classmate said this that um, rising tides lifts all ships. I think is what the I think is what the phrase was. This idea that hey, if we all help each other. Um, if if I help you, it's then it's going to help me as well. That all of us are going to get better together, and we're going to be able to accomplish the mission at hand more effectively. Man, that's great, and yeah, I totally agree with that. And that saying, um, we're going to talk in a minute about some of the things we've done in the study. But one of the reasons we want to pray for our brothers and sisters at other churches in Fayetteville is that idea that a rising tide lifts all boats. Mm-hmm. That um, we want to see a kingdom movement. We're not worried about whether Fellowship Fayetteville gets the credit or gets the people or gets the money. Um, Man, we want to see churches thrive. We want to see lives changed all over this town and the surrounding area um, because we're all in this together. And I, you know, a lot of the, a lot of you who listen to this podcast are community group leaders. And one of the dangers of leading a community group is your world can get really small and you can just start to be so focused on that small group of people. And I just want to remind you, you are on a team. Um, I want to encourage you to do community group and team. And so involve as many people as you can in planning, leading, serving, Um, but you're part of a bigger team in your parish and at your church and community group leaders, if you ever feel isolated, if you ever feel like you're on an island, um, reach out to me or anyone on our community staff team or your parish leader. Um, We want to do this whole thing in community and in team. And it's striking to me, just to kind of wrap up this Ephesians 6, 10 through 24, Paul closes with peace and love and verse 24, grace. Mm. And it's where he started. Um, the beginning of the book is grace. Of course, in 2, 8, 9, he tells us our salvation is all by grace. And then in, in verse 24, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Um, this book of Ephesians is just saturated and soaked in grace. Mm. And Lord, help us never to forget that, yeah. um, that when we get into these commands, these charges, these challenges, um, it all comes about by grace and just the work that the Lord does in us that's unmerited favor um, that he gives us as a free gift through his son, Jesus. So as we kind of close the book, uh, Ryan, one of the things I was hoping we could do today was just... Um, let's just kind of think back over these last 12 weeks. We have tried as a team to do some creative things in our worship services to really bring the book of Ephesians to life. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe just kind of remind us of some of those things and give us the thinking behind some of those things as we reflect back over this book as a whole. Well, I think um, first, before we even dive into them, the only way we were able to really execute any of these ideas was to ask for help and to bring more people in the church body in to be a part of this. This wasn't something that just the the teaching pastors could do or the worship leaders could do, but we're bringing in people um, throughout our congregation uh, to help. And so one, one of the things that we did was we brought in Potter's House, 
Um, when we, which is an organization that helps connect communities across socioeconomic lines, um, and they do a lot of different things. But their big thing is they put Jesus at the center of all that they do. And so um, this was a connection for uh, our church, um, a, a really great organization to get involved in. We brought the Call in, which is an organization that provides uh, education and encouragement, uh, specifically for Jesus followers um, to foster and adopt children that are in need. And uh, this was a beautiful, um, man, The Brandy, the woman that came in from the call, um, really just like was able to communicate the need there for us as a body of believers, um, as Jesus followers, to, to engage in that. Um, week after week, every single week, this whole series, we engaged in a corporate confession and assurance of pardon. And I think this is one of the elements that we'll, we'll definitely continue to do after this series. Um, but this was a, a great starting point for something like this, because um, to do this in a corporate manner, I think, provided a lot of this context for unity that we have as a church for us to, as a body of believers, as a group of Jesus followers, to um, to be reminded that we're fallen, broken people, that we're, we're sinful uh, beings, um, but then also to remind ourselves that we have an assurance of pardon in Jesus. And so to do that as a group, I think, showcased the unity a lot. Um, and then in that same vein, we, we prayed for six different local churches. So we reached out to different uh, leaders and pastors uh, in our area and got prayer requests from six different churches. And so over the span of three weeks, our church uh, took time, hopefully out of um, our normal rhythms throughout the week and, and stopped and prayed for these churches again to promote this idea of unity. We all have the same mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus um, we heard scriptures read in eight different languages um, by Jesus followers. So it's not just people that we found that could speak different languages, but these are Jesus followers reading the holy scriptures in their different languages to, to lift our eyes maybe a little bit and let us see um, that the gospel is global, that it is, is not just happening in the States, but, but God loves all people, all tongues, tribes, and nations. That was really a special, that was probably the most impactful thing uh, in, in my own heart that we did um, throughout this, this series. And we also wrote a couple of songs. And so um, The Reckoning probably being the song that we sang the most uh, that we wrote for this series. And that, and that was written, um, and we took stuff straight from this book, a lot from chapter two, a lot of these lines, um, these walls of hostility broken down. Um, and so... So yeah, those were those were some kind of I guess outside the realm of just singing songs and preaching the Bible that we kind of brought in to make this a more holistic uh, experience for our congregation. Man, I really appreciate the intentionality and the thoughtfulness behind that. And another thing I want to give your team credit for is man, the study guide. Mm. It's been so useful for me in my own study, in my community group. We're using the discussion questions every week out of it, and people have been bringing their books. It's so encouraging as a teacher to see people out there taking notes and bringing yeah. their books. And so I want to give just one last shout out to the media team for just incredible work and a beautiful pro product. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure those of you who worship with us have noticed the slides um, track mm -hmm. with the artwork in the book, and it's just very cohesive. 
Um, and looking forward to in January, we'll begin our study of Esther and Daniel, and we'll have a new study guide for that that we'll get to lay eyes on here pretty soon on the staff side, and it'll yeah. be available um, coming out of the holidays for the church. And so I'm looking forward to that. Um, Ryan, as you think back over the book of Ephesians, when you see that study guide on your shelf um, six months from now, or if you get ready to take a group of guys or somebody you're discipling through the book of Ephesians, what are you going to remember from our study? What, what's going to be the thing you feel like is really going to stick with you? I think for me, hands down, it's the theme of unity in the church. Um, Division is very evident right now and in a lot of different realms of our society. And so, um, yeah, that that's the theme that's been consistent throughout the whole book. And so, absolutely, that I, I can be reminded. Every time I see the book of Ephesians or flip past it or, yeah, see the study guide, I'm going to be reminded that, man, we're, we're united um, not just because we have similar interests, but because of Jesus. And that is much more... Um, uh, stable and it's it's uh, unwavering that it's rooted in Jesus as opposed to anything else, and so that's a unity that's going to sustain. And yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that'll be a big one for me. I think what I would tack on to that is just this is the book where Paul really shows us how the gospel integrates into all of life. Um, mm. Steve Graves did a great job just highlighting that mm-hmm. last week in his teaching, but man. If I can let the gospel inform um, my relationships with other people, um, my mouth, my money, how I spend my time, if I can let the gospel shape my marriage, my parenting, my approach to work, um, if I can let the gospel inform even this this week, the charge, this spiritual warfare that we're all engaged in, um, man, if I really can... Um, just anchor my heart and my mind in the truth of the gospel. It's going to change everything. And I think along with that unity idea, that's the other big thing that I've taken away from this study. Well, Sermon Notes listeners, I hope that these weekly conversations have been useful for you as you've studied, as you've led well, as you've discipled people. Um, We'll have one more Sermon Notes episode this year. Um, Next week, we'll look at Advent and we'll look at why we celebrate the coming of the king and why we're looking forward to his second coming. Um, And then we'll take a little break and we'll be back with you after the first of the year to talk about Esther and Daniel. I can't wait. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving and holiday season, Um, a great Christmas as we celebrate the birth of the king. And we'll talk to you later on Sermon Notes. Sermon Notes.